Here in the North Shore Drive podcast, we've talked about a lot of the new additions the Steelers have made, but how will those the, the, those additions make on defense make a difference against the AFC North quarterbacks that are slated to be really tough this year, twice with Joe Burrow, twice with Lamar Jackson, and twice with Deshaun Watson? To talk, talk about that, we talk about that with Ray Fittipaldo, who, who was along, along with Steelers minicamp the whole way as we get ready to go throughout the offseason and what's going on with the Pirates. Their catcher was called up, but they continue to struggle uh, throughout throughout this stretch here against the NL Central. All that and more here on the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive podcast, a show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hosted by Christopher Carter. Hello and welcome to the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and here we have our esteemed Steelers beat writer, Ray Fittipato, on with us here talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. As always, you can find this show on your favorite podcasting apps and on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of your daily or excuse me, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday episodes of this show and your daily content that comes out from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We did a show with myself and Noah Hiles on the Pitt Mailbag show where we talked about the Bob Huggins situation and how that might impact college basketball. But let's get into some Steelers topics right now, Ray. And this one's more of a global topic. This is more of a stepping back from analyzing what happened in minicamp. But I wanted to ask you these questions. The Steelers, one of the biggest topics that was coming into this season and also last season uh, with the with the roster constructed was how tough this AFC North is going to be with the big-name quarterbacks that are in it. We know about Joe Burrow. We know about Lamar Jackson. Deshaun Watson only got to play the, the tail end of last season and wasn't spectacular in doing so, but it's still a big name that people are expecting more out of this year. And the question I have for you is, Ray, how are the Steelers – tailored against those opponents defensively this year with the new additions that they've made and I I think it's a reasonable question to ask because Joe Burrow uh, they were able to split with him last year but this is going to be kind of a year where the Bengals I think this is one of their last big pushes they have like about two or three more years where I think where they're going to be a position where they're not paying Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase huge money and they can load up the rest of the roster. Lamar Jackson as a new offensive coordinator. Uh, there's going to be some serious questions, I think, that they have to face when, when, when confronting those teams. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at what the Steelers did um, first in free agency and in the draft, um, they really tried to fortify their fronts. And you look what they did. Braden Fajoko comes in. Keanu Benton comes in. So, uh, for the Steelers, it's always going to be about stopping the run first. And I, I think that's a good plan in this division. You know, Cleveland has Nick Chubb. Uh, the Ravens have been the Ravens. Um, you know, they've been playing the same way for five, seven years now. I know Todd Monken is supposed to change things, but my question, Chris, is really how much is going to change in his first mm-hmm. season? I, you know, I, I think we'll see some tweaks here and there, but I don't think they're going to deviate much from – uh, what Lamar Jackson did really, really well, and you have to stop the run. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's good quarterbacks in this division. Um, but, I, you know, I think the Steelers are going to try to stop the run first. They're going to put it in the hands of these quarterbacks, Watson, Burrow, and Jackson to see if they can beat them. And that's always the fun part of this. You know, if I had to sit back and cherry pick one position now where the mm-hmm. Steelers might be a little bit weak um, as we sit here on June 20th, probably slot corner, right? I mean, that's – yeah. That's the one spot that I kind of look at. And I know you can look at the middle of the defense too, but just personnel wise, you know, you don't have a big name free agent. You know, they went out and spent money 
on Cole Holcomb. They went out and spent money on Landon Roberts. So I, I think there's some – we don't know, but there's some hope that the, the, the middle can be better than it has been. So when I look at Chandon Sullivan, you know, journeyman corner who's been around, um, and I know Patrick Peterson is going to mix in there too. He kind of got a taste of, of that this spring. But there's one position I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about, especially when it comes to quarterbacks who can pick you apart a little bit like Joe Burrow can. I would mm-hmm. say slot corner. I certainly think that's a, that's a concern in that middle part of the defense, too. With We think about the linebackers. The Steelers still don't have a really well rep, a, a cover linebacker that has a strong reputation for covering the middle part of the field. That's also where the slot cornerback would be. So those underneath, you know, middle, middle of the field throws, that might be an area that gets picked at for the Steelers and something that maybe they should be looking to address. But you know, I think it's also looking at this this roster – these rosters, you know, predicated on stopping the run and getting after the quarterback, but they've added pieces on the outside. It's not like they just stuck around and they were just like, well, I guess it's going to be Levi Wallace and Akella Witherspoon. They went and got Patrick Peterson and they drafted Joey Porter Jr. Um, and they went and they kept Demonte KZ and they added Keanu Neal. They have a secondary that can better combat that can better combat teams. Do you feel that this year's secondary will be better suited than last year's secondary with taking on, you know, if we're talking about passing offenses, it's definitely the Bengals because they got the receivers and the quarterback lined up. Right. So we're, when you look back at last season, Chris, one of the biggest issues, especially in the first half of the season was big plays down the field. Yeah. Um, Remember what happened when AJ Brown really took advantage of them and Akella Witherspoon um, in particular. So that's, that's one area when you sit back and look at it, okay, what did they do in the offseason to address that? Well, they got bigger, longer, and faster on the on the outside. Um, Patrick Peterson's a vet, but he's a big corner, um, and he can still run. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., tall, lanky, length, um, press corner. He's going to disrupt those receivers at the line of scrimmage, and then they're going to uh, probably play a lot of um, you know looks where the, the safety is going to come down over top and give him some help. And Corey Trice is the same way. I, I know Corey Trice is a seventh-round pick, but he's long and he's fast, and he can disrupt guys at the line of scrimmage too. So I think there's going to be a change in how they play. Now, again, you know, much in the same way, Baltimore is probably going to mix in a little bit here and there with, with Todd Mock and in that new offense. I don't think we're going to get a drastic change, Chris, in this defense, but I do think we're going to see some tweaks, and I think you're going to see more press man disrupted the line of scrimmage, and then you'll see Keanu Neal, DeMonte Casey, Minka Fitzpatrick helping over the top to try to limit some of those big plays that happened in the first half of last season. And you think if you take away some of the big plays, not against the Bills and the Eagles, I mean, they, they were getting trounced in those games anyways, but you take away some of those big plays, the big play against the Patriots that they gave up to Nelson Aguilar, they might win that game. They probably win that game. It, it, it broke open things. I know Gunnar Olszewski's fumble play still played a big role, but they lost by three in a game where that was – a huge part of it was giving up that play. And you think back to different times last year, the, the deep ball was what kind of let the, the deep, let the game get away from them against Philly, let the game get away from them against Buffalo. And, you know, they're not playing the Eagles this year. They're not playing the Bills or the Chiefs this year. The, you know, they're playing the Bengals, sure. But this is a, 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 a season where I think if they, you're right, if they take away those big plays and this secondary is part of that, I think it puts them in a position to be even more competitive than they were last year and against a not at least on paper right now, not as crazy schedule as, as, as we've seen so far. 
again, it's nothing against Levi Wallace, who very well may begin the season as a starter. But just when you think tactically about the way they want to play with these uh, taller and lengthier corners, um, they just want to be able to close those windows, right? You know, Mm -hmm. those balls that are thrown outside the hashes that could be 20-yard gains. Now it's much more difficult for those uh, quarterbacks to fit those in there. So you create more difficult throws for quarterbacks. There's going to be more incomplete passes, and there could be more turnovers. So that's the way they want to play. Um, But, again, you know, we'll see how quickly Joey Porter can ascend to a starting position. And we'll see the same thing, um, you know, with Corey tries eventually. I don't think that's going to happen this year. But um, Patrick Peterson on the inside, there's going to be a lot of moving chess pieces that they can utilize this year. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to um, get things rolling. They'll have to come up with, with a plan for when these guys will be in those spots. But, you know, I, I think um, with what they've done, with the length that they've added, they have become a more difficult team to pass against just because it's going to be harder for quarterbacks to, to fit those tight windows. I certainly think it's going to be a question there. Uh, I want to talk more about specifically about these quarterbacks that they're going up against in the AFC North in the next segment. I wanted to focus on the Steelers themselves this segment. We'll talk about how they've done against those t- those players and what they'll need to continue doing against those players or change against those players moving forward. We'll do that in just a minute here on the North Shore Drive podcast for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. But first, I want to talk to you guys about our great sponsors at GameTime.co. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, and that's where GameTime, an app that you can download right to your phone, is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all your sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. They give you killer deals on last-minute tickets, and they have a best price guarantee that can't be beaten so that you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have. Again, download the GameTime app to your phone or go to their website, GameTime.co, and you'll find exclusive flash deals on ticket events for things like football games, basketball games, baseball games, concerts, comedy, theater, and so many more events that are around you. And the GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets for the same section and same row for for less in the same event that that, that you got tickets from game time for game time will go back and credit you 110 percent of the difference snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use code pitt pit for 20 dollars off your first purchase or go to their website gametime.co terms and conditions apply create an account and redeem code pitt pit for 20 dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Back here on the North Shore Drive podcast, Chris Carter with Ray Fittipaldo. We're talking all things Steelers here, but we're flipping to talking more about the AFC North a little bit. Now, career-wise, Ray, the Steelers have a not-so-bad record against some of these guys when it comes to when it comes to playing them. Lamar Jackson, granted, he hasn't played against them since December of 2021. Uh, he's been inactive the last three times the Steelers and Ravens have, have matched up. But in the games that he started... He's one and two against the Steelers. The only time he beat them was when Mason Rudolph started and then was almost decapitated by Earl Thomas and Devlin Hodges had to get his first NFL action. But since then, uh, he lost to the Steelers in uh, Jan- excuse me, November of 2020 when they were able to win 28-24 in Baltimore. He lost to the Steelers again in 2021 in a 2019 game, the two-point conversion game where T.J. Watt pressured him and he missed uh, a guy in the end zone that would have won the Ravens the game but he hasn't played since Deshaun Watson 
has never beaten the Steelers in his time. Great, he's only played them twice. He played them once with the Texans um, on back in September of 2020. Uh, he didn't play in the Christmas Day game of, of 2020 or 2017, excuse me. And then last year, he only played one game against the Steelers because of his suspension, where the Steelers won handily, 28 to 14 at uh, Acrisure Stadium. But Joe Burrow is the one difference here. Uh, he has. He, uh, he he started against the Steelers the first time. His, his first start didn't go well, 36-10. Steelers were able to beat him. But since then, he swept them in 2021, and he split with them in uh, in 2022. So giving him a 3-2 and two record against the Steelers as a start of the only one of these quarterbacks. Is this – are we overstating the the prowess of these AFC North quarterbacks and how scared the Steelers should be of them? Or – is this a group that you think could be a big problem for the Steelers uh, going into 2023? Yeah, I think they could be a bigger problem. I, I think Joe Burrow is heads and shoulders above the other two, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of the team around him and really just being able to to, to play the, the modern-day role of, uh, of a winning NFL quarterback. He could do it all. He could run. He could pass. Where I think those other guys are a little bit more – um, one-dimensional. But, yeah, listen, if Lamar Jackson is healthy, he's a problem. You know, the Steelers have had his number. Um, uh, but when he has had success against the Steelers, he's throwing to Mark Andrews over the middle, and he's beating them with his legs. That's the only way Lamar Jackson has been able to beat the Steelers. But on occasion, he has done that. And then with Sean Watson, too, listen, small sample size, only two games. I think we're all anticipating Deshaun uh, Deshaun. Watson is going to be much better in 2023 than he was in 2022 just because of the fact that, you know, he was coming off an 11-game layoff, and that would be a difficult circumstance for really any quarterback um, to step into. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at all the divisions in the NFL, I think the AFC North is probably among the top in the league when you look at the depth of all the quarterbacks. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tough road to hoe for the Steelers, but um, they had had success against these guys like you've noted, and I think they're going to have to count on Mike Tomlin and Terrell Austin to continue to draw up some schemes that will um, continue to befuddle them and defend them well. I think it's it's one of the bigger challenges that the Steelers face this year, especially with Joe Burrow. And I, I don't know how the, the Browns are going to be because the Browns, as much as Deshaun Watson struggled last year, they still have Nick Chubb. And he is still a problem. Granted, their offensive line hasn't exactly taken much of a step forward, I don't think, uh, with the because they didn't really do as much in free agency this year. But they couldn't afford to, and they didn't have draft picks because of the Deshaun Watson situation. And it makes me wonder that, you know, the Steelers, I, I, I wonder who they're best suited to face right now. Is it simply still just Lamar Jackson because they've had his number? And the Steelers, I mean, Mike Tomlin's emphasized it. I mean, how many times, Ray, have you been in a Mike Tomlin press conference where he's talked about mobility and and the, the, the increased athleticism of quarterbacks and needing to be prepared for that in today's game? It seems like the Steelers are. It's not something they're getting crushed by by a lot of these opponents. The, the, the guys that do crush them are the guys that can launch the ball down the field and pick it, pick it where your, uh, your weaknesses are in, in your secondary. And it makes me wonder who you know, is it still just simply Joe Burrow because the Steelers have maybe one of the best front defensive fronts in football with Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, Larry Ogunjobi, and everyone else up there. Yeah, I mean, of those three quarterbacks that we're discussing right now, I think Joe Burrow is the much more accomplished passer. Um, that guy can can win you football games um, with his efficiency on third downs and just his completion percentage. I mean, he could throw it short, he could throw it intermediate, and he could throw it deep. And the knock on guys like Lamar Jackson, and I think to a lesser extent to Sean Watson, is 
you ask Lamar Jackson to throw outside the numbers, um, he's had a hard time doing that in his career. So there are definitely things that Mike Tomlin and Terrell Austin can do and have done at the past in the past that can put uh, Lamar Jackson in some disadvantageous uh, situations that could help the Steelers. So um, that's what I'm talking about where guys who – and guys like Joe Burrow and Mahomes and Herbert, they could do it all. They can run and they could also pick you apart. I'm not confident that Lamar Jackson can do that. And, like, to me, like, Deshaun Watson could be that guy, but with Cleveland, what is he? You know, is he going to be a guy who hands the ball off to Nick Chubb? Is he going to be a guy who uses his legs? Or is he going to be a guy who sits back, drops back, and tries to pick you apart? I don't think they have an identity in Cleveland. I don't know what that was late last season when he was in there, and I don't know what their their identity is going to be in 2024. People are saying, hey, they they could move away from Chubb, and they could go – more towards Watson and kind of justify that contract they, they signed him to. Um, but if they do that, it's going to be a whole change in their identity and the way they've played football for the last five or 10 years. So, um, so again, I, you know, I think it's Burrow um, one, and then I think it's Jackson and Watson well done the wrong. I, you know, I think those guys are still good, good quarterbacks, but I don't, I don't consider those guys, you know, top, top eight, 10, 12 quarterbacks in this league. I hear you on Deshaun Watson. I feel like part of it also is, and we can get to this with another episode later on, is I also feel like by far Joe Burrow has a better wide receiver situation to work with than anybody, maybe even in the NFL, with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and that and that crew. And one thing I've always talked about, Lamar Jackson, if you gave Lamar Jackson, this year he has Odell Beckham Jr. They went and got Zay Flowers. This might be the best receiving core he's ever had because, I mean, they were hoping Miles Boykin was at one point thought to be the answer for them over in the Ravens. And he might be the fifth or sixth receiver on the Steelers roster right now. So I I look at that and I definitely think Joe Burrow is the most accomplished and most complete quarterback the Steelers could face. But the, the reason I was asking this question is because I do wonder if Lamar Jackson, if things are a little bit different with, uh, with you know, with, with with their receiver situation upgraded a little bit and with a new offensive coordinator. But if it's the same, it makes me wonder, you know, how does how does how does how do the Steelers continue to handle that uh, with that? Because you look at their their linebacker situation is different, but their their pass rush isn't different. Their defensive line isn't different. Make if Fitzpatrick's still kind of quarterbacking the defense uh, in the backfield there. And, uh, you know, we've also seen Minka Fitzpatrick. He's had Joe Burrow's number uh, Mm -hmm. as far as at least getting interceptions wise. Joe Burrow has not played the Steelers and thrown in. The only time he didn't throw an interception against the Steelers was the game where they lost 36 to 10 to the Steelers in his rookie season. But every game and it's it's seemingly almost always. I mean, except the one time it was uh, T.J. Watt. But in 2021, Minka Fitzpatrick intercepted him and. uh, uh, in 2022, he inter- he intercepted him, and it makes me wonder. Like that might also be one of the bigger, like not as talked about rivalries because we uh, because of you know safeties don't get as much hype as quarterbacks. But Kenny Pickett was telling us how Minka Fitzpatrick studies film with him sometimes as they're going over tendencies and different things that they like to do. I think one of the better chess matches is could, chess matches could be the two times the Steelers and the Bengals face off later in the season, and Minka Fitzpatrick trying to read and, and, and figure out what Joe Burrow wants to do. Oh, there's no doubt with the history there between Burrow and, and Minka and really the entire Steelers secondary, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow is going to be aware um, of where Minka lines up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw that in, in the opener last year with how, how many plays that secondary made. Um, so, yeah, I, the Bengals are going to be really, really hard 
for the Steelers. I think any team in the NFL to defend. To me, the most interesting thing about this season, it could determine who comes in second or third place, the Steelers or the Ravens. And it's how much time does Todd Monken need to run his new offense, right? So Mm. are are they going to be able to pick that up and hit the ground running in August or September, or is that going to take some time? I give Jim Harbaugh a ton of credit for the way Lamar Jackson stepped in midseason back in 2018 and really Mm. turned that that team back into a playoff contender when they looked like they were headed for last place. Um, So, you know, could could they have a – could, could they have a second coming of that? And could, you know, Todd Mock can come in and just boom. Okay. We're going to pass now. We're going to be good at it. Or is it going to be a situation where there's some growing pains and Lamar Jackson's going to have a, um, a little bit more of a learning curve in, um, in, in running this new offense. So to me, I, I think it'll be a good sign for the Steelers. If the Ravens and Jackson are struggling a little bit early in the season, but by the same token, if if they're really good and they're really taking it to, to Todd Monken's offense early in the season, I, th- I don't think that's going to bode well for for the Steelers or anyone else in the division that uh, or the conference that has to play the Ravens. So to me, that's the one thing to watch. Um, July, August, September, where are the Ravens offensively? How quickly do they pick it up? And what is that going to mean for the AFC North as we look at it? Yes, indeed. I do wonder what's going to happen there. We'll have a lot more time to discuss that as the offseason rolls along. Ray, thanks so much for your time here on the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're switching topics. We're going buckos here as they've continued their uh, their not-so-great stretch against the NL Central. We'll talk about that in just a minute here on the North Shore Drive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Stick with us. We'll be right back. And now we switch to the Pirates here in the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We switch to Jason Mackey. Jason, they've been going through it, man. The Pirates, <laughs> it's, there's no other way to say it. They've lost eight straight. Back before this, this nine-game stretch against the NL Central opponents, and the, the two teams that we thought would catch up to them uh, at, at some point if they weren't careful, we said, okay, if they can go four and five, they're fine. They're 0 and 8 during this stretch and the last two games they have not even scored a run I want to start with this question to you Jason what's going on with the Buccos bats and what needs to be done to wake them out of whatever they're in right now I don't know need a rain out or something Crash Davis needs to set off the sprinkler system (laughs) I wish I had a solution man it's brutal um you know there there are several baseball reasons or things going wrong I mean, they have young guys that are just way too up and down, and right now they're obviously very much down. Um, they're having guys that they're counting upon for production, just underperforming. To me, it's bigger than that. I, I'm, I'm, I haven't been a blame Andy Haynes, the hitting coach guy, you know, saying, oh, this is all his fault. This is all his fault. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it's all his fault. But sooner or later, you have to admit, this isn't just like, oh, we need one big hit. We need that, you know, this guy to come through. You, you better start looking at your process a little bit deeper. I mean, this is just really bad. I, I don't have, it's not any one magic thing that that's going wrong. I mean, they're tentative. Clearly you're seeing them strike out. You're seeing them strike out a lot looking and guys in baseball don't do that, you know, cause they think it's fun or do it on purpose. Like you're just right. used wrapped around the axle, all that stuff. So I just, you know, I'd be reevaluating how they're preparing for games. I'd reevaluate stuff that they're 
doing with guys swings and getting, you know, off, oftentimes simplification is better, but yeah, I, if I had the answer, man, I'd bottle it and sell it. It, it just seems that like, and again, what we were talking about earlier this year, they were doing, there were times where they were doing so many different things, right. That, Hey, if a couple of these things go wrong, they have other things to lean on. You know, their starting pitching was doing fine. Their bullpen at times was was, do, was doing fine. Their hitting was doing fine. Their their their, their base running was doing fine. And it seems like all of that all of that has now gone away. The pitching has has been has been really tough to rely on as well. But you know the bats. But this was a team that you know their their strength was going to be their lineup was going to be the guys the guys who were going to be able to deliver it. I mean, sure, Cabrian Hayes went two for four the other night and. Um, you know, is batting 259, but like Jack Sawinski is two is batting 228. Now Carlos Santana 227. Uh, you know, this these these are numbers that like those are what you you were you kind of hope that like you know your Austin Hedges would bat and he's batting 172. You know, there's there's not enough consistency across the board, and it makes you wonder is, is it a is it an approach thing that's across the board, or is it more of a slump that they've been in because we've seen this team hit against against other against some of these other pitchers. Yeah, and it's not even that. I mean, that, that's obviously part of it, but we can keep going. Uh, you know, they're injured too. Brian Reynolds, mm-hmm, that's true. Back tightness. We're going to have to get news on that today. Theoretically, Andrew McCutcheon's been dealing with an elbow thing that really has been this entire season, but it was exacerbated in that Oakland series. Anyway, I mean, it's it's just it's top to bottom, and and you can look at this team like you're describing, and and you thought the fielding would be better, you thought the base running would be better, you thought the pitching was would be better. All of it's fair. It's all kind of gone in the tank. I would argue the starting pitching has been maybe the best component. I mean, it's a it's a low bar, certainly. But, you know, Johan Oviedo last night gave them a chance to win. Osvaldo Bito last night gave them a chance to win. Now, granted, a bunch of other stuff went wrong, certainly. Um, the bullpen very much scares me. You've got David Bednar. I trust him at the back end. But besides that, what do, what do you got? you got a bunch of injured guys. Dari Moretta. He looked so good early on and has just disappeared. You've got guys up from AAA. Now, some of them have been encouraging. Angel Perdomo, Carmen Majinski, I've liked what I've seen, but there's just not enough top-to-bottom consistency. And, Chris, I've spent some time in the past couple of days sort of thinking about this, reflecting a little bit more. We thought going into this that the Pirates were going to probably have a strong start, mm-hmm. uh, and eventually they were going to peter out over lack of depth. I do think that's what we're seeing right now because ideally you would like to see them be able to supplement something from the minor leagues, be that pitching, be that position players uh, when there's injuries or poor performance up top. And they're just not getting that. They're not. And I, this is, this is a team that, you know, we, we thought could balance things out at different times. And here's the other thing too, like they're struggling, they're struggling right, right now. They've struggled. They struggled a lot in, in May. Do you see something coming in the, in the future that, that could lead to a turnaround? And I'm not saying back to, you know, six wins above 500 and getting them in that line, but be able to maybe get back to 500 within the next couple weeks or so with the couple of the games that they have on their, on, on their schedule and some of the opponents, like they got uh, Miami coming up uh, he, uh, on the road. They got the, they got the Padres, which that, that, that's a big lineup, but then they get the, the Brewers at home. Is there is there a legitimate chance for them for this to be a turnaround versus you know this being this continuing for a longer stretch and kind of dropping them way down the standings? Because now they're what third in the NL Central? Yeah, uh, fourth actually. Fourth, geez, and, and fading fast. No, that would be my short answer, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure Pirates fans would love me to sit here and 
say that there is something and, you know, whatever. I just, I, I don't see what happens to change what's going on right now. Um, I don't think the NL Central is head and shoulders better than the Pirates, but they're playing a lot better ball and the schedule is not favorable at all. You mentioned the Padres, the Brewers, the Dodgers, yeah. the Diamondbacks, the Giants, the Guardians. Mm. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Angels, Padres, Phillies. Like, that takes us through July. That takes us through July. Those are all reasonably competitive teams. There's no easy ones out there. And the Pirates have made hay against a soft portion of their schedule. And early on, they played some pretty good ball. But, I mean, what's going to happen right now that really changes the narrative around this team? Supplement with pitching depth? Okay, I can give you one pitcher in AAA that could maybe come up here and impact things mm. in Quinn Priester. What if there's more injuries? Yeah. We can talk about the offense and some of it's been good, but I've seen more mediocrity than I've seen really special with some of this stuff. Like I think about Carlos Santana and I like him. I like him from a leadership standpoint, but I don't suddenly see him going off to the tune of an 850 or 900 OPS over the next six weeks. I just, I just don't. Yeah. Um, You've got injuries. Even if we say Castro, Marcano, Bay, Sawinski. Four young guys. Mm-hmm. Are all four of them suddenly going to figure it out? No. They'd be lucky if one figured it out. So right. that's why I'd have a tough time making that case. Uh, I, I agree with you on that sentiment because it not, it's kind of at the reverse now where there's so many things are going wrong. They would need so many different things to go right to have a turnaround here. They have Rich Hill on the mound uh, this upcoming with a 1235 uh, 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 first pitch against the Cubs to finish out the home series before they, they, they head back on the road to Miami for a four game series here. Um, Jason, we've been talking, there was a lot of talk about this and you and Andrew talked about this as well, about Andrew, Andy Rodriguez and, uh, and bringing up, you know, another, another young guy here. How much longer do, do, if, if the Pirates keep a trend up, not necessarily losing eight in a row, you know, cons- cons- you know, continuously and just keep keeping that, that losing streak going. But it, let's say, like, the, over the last, like, 20 games or so, like, the, the, the pace that they've been on continues for the next month or so. How much longer do you, do you see the Pirates waiting before they start calling up more guys like that that are in the system and giving them opportunities in a team that, you know, I know that they just, the Pirates just said, we, we want this to be a postseason team. We want that. We want We want to get there. But reality starting to sink in that even that unless things turn around quickly, that's not going to happen. And this team, this season is going to go back to being about developing this young core. That's we always thought would be in its best in the, in the next few years. It can't go back to that. Chris first, just to take the second part of what you're saying first. Okay. Um, I mean, Travis Williams, we talked to him yesterday. The expectation is a postseason. That's how we view ourselves. And that's why I wrote the story. I thought it was important to put that mm-hmm. out there. He's the president of the team. He should be on the record stating what the team's position is. And so, okay, that's how you're going to be evaluated. So at this point, what are you going to do to get there? Is the, what I'm at, what I, what I would be asking as a fan, what they have right now is certainly not enough. It's not working. So there needs to be an admission here that it's not working and then make changes. Right now, I do understand that making trades is difficult. Anybody that's any good, teams aren't going to be in a hurry to trade them. There's a lot of races like the NL Central that are just tightly packed and a team, you know, let's use who would be a good example in the Central. Maybe the the Cubs or Brewers. Mm -hmm. 
they're not going to say like, oh, we're a couple games out of first place. We're out of it. So we're going to deal our guys. Like that's just not, it's not the way this works. If you've got a street free agent, what, why isn't that guy on a team? There's probably Mm -hmm. something going on there. So the pirates need to find solutions to their problems. They might come internally. That's fine. But I look at what the pirates have internally and I'd like to see those guys produce more. I'm not going to bring up Andy Rodriguez because he had a good 2022 season. I want him Mm -hmm. hitting right now. He hasn't hit that much. Nick Gonzalez has had a very high strikeout rate and frankly hasn't earned his way up here. Jared Mm -hmm. Triolo and some other guys, like I think they've got some talent in the minor leagues, but right now it's just not playing its way to Pittsburgh. So I would want that. I would want available trade options. And I obviously the major league team to play better, but to get there, man, they like, they just, they, they got to fix some things. And, and that list is not short. So in your, in your, in your outlook, are the Pirates a team that, if they're legitimately trying to be a playoff contender, are they a team that get that that makes a move at the trade deadline or looks at just options to improve this roster right now at the expense of of future pieces in their system? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so, Chris. Uh, I'd like to think that, but if this trend continues, the Pirates are going to be woefully out of it by the trade deadline. Man. And at that point, it would be stupid to try to trade up so to speak you know you're going to mortgage your future well if you're 14 games out of first place what is that what what are we doing here you know it it would be a a very frustrating admission given what Travis Williams said given what Bob Nutting has said given what Ben Charrington has said we want to be better we need to win games they would have failed miserably in that but you sort of have to admit where you're at at that point and say well, we're not going anywhere, so we're going to trade Carlos Santana. We're going to trade Rich Hill. We're going to trade whomever we can to get anything back. And, and honestly, that list is probably small. At this point, they're not going to get a lot back for some of the veterans on expiring contracts they have. G-Man Choi, Vince Velasquez, obviously that's not netting much. Kutch is right. a different discussion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't be mortgaging the future if this continues because they're going to be so far out of it, it would be wasteful. I hear you on that. We'll see how they continue here. 12-35 first pitch. The, the Pirates take on the Cubs, finishing their home series again, against them before they take on they go to, on the road to the Miami Marlins. He's Jason Mackey. You can find all his work at post-gazette.com covering the Pittsburgh Pirates, along with uh, his, part, his partner, Andrew Destin, who just is all over the place for us uh, it, with, with uh, the Post-Gazette. We thank you very much uh, for you guys' work, and we thank you all for checking out the North Shore Drive podcast here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I'm your host, Chris Carter. You can check out all of our work again at post-gazette.com. This is a Monday, Wednesday, Friday show, but we always have daily content, including content from Jason and Andrew when they talk buckos on, on their own. Thanks again to you guys, and thanks again to Ray Fittipato for Talking Steelers. We'll be back Friday talking more Pittsburgh sports here on the North Shore Drive podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down below in the description.